<laughs> Our opening words this morning as we celebrate Founders Day are from Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, from his statement of purpose in 1926, so only about um, seven years before his death at the end of a long life of leading the movement. The ethical movement affirms that to live ethically is to fulfill one's own life by promoting what is best in the lives of others. Ethics is not life feeding on life, but life interlacing with life, each of us adding something to the lives of others. We seek to retain what is vitally true in the moral teachings of the past, but we restate what is morally true in terms that are meaningful and relevant today. Religion is not only what was created in the past. Religion is alive and newly created each day. They who take this creative ethical task as their personal lifelong quest will find the courage needed to meet life's challenges. They will find the strength to persist against inevitable obstacles. They will endure despite endless failures and not be bemused by specious successes. <laughs> Ethical people find a finer happiness in life's simple joys and find greater strength in facing life's sorrows. They attain a deeper faith in people and look toward the future with hope. I invite you with those words ringing in your ears to join in our opening song this morning.
Welcome, indeed, this morning to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Amanda Poppy. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am privileged to serve as the clergy leader here. I am glad you are with us this morning, whether you are in the room or joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag as you came in so that we can particularly welcome you and answer any questions that you might have. We do enjoy talking about what we have found in this community, but we are most eager to hear what it is that you are looking for. We hope that you'll join us after the platform service for Cross Your Fingers coffee. Um, I will note that the staff person that usually has our coffee ready bright and early is on vacation, and we've got volunteers signed up to help out, but you know. Um, so people have just jumped right in and I, I join us all in the hope and faith that there will be coffee after uh, the first platform. Um, there will definitely be a photo booth, so I invite you to join us for that and snap some selfies. Depending on whether you've had coffee or not, they'll be more or less animated. We also hope that you um, picked up a gold sheet at the welcome table. If you're a visitor, that's a way to share your email with us so that we can get you connected. You can put it in the collection basket when it passes later in our platform. I do want to remind you to silence your electronic devices this morning so that you are able to be present and so is your neighbor. While you've got them out to put them on vibrate or uh, turn them off, you can just check in on social media, let folks know that you're here. As we celebrate Founders Day and um, both the history of ethical culture and the history of the Washington Ethical Society in particular, 75 years young this year, I wanted to invite um, one of our most recent members uh, and one of our longest term members to light our community candle this morning. And so Beth Ann Barnes joined with the fall membership cohort. Um, and she is joined by Josh Blinder, who um, grew up in the Sunday school here at the Washington, well, actually not here at the Washington Ethical Society, but in the DuPont Circle home. And so um, I think he narrowly beat out a couple of other folks for our longest member here of our community. So I'm so delighted to, yes, you can applaud for that. I think that sounds great. They'll share our statement of purpose with us now. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you so much, Josh and Beth Ann, and thank you for also rather adorably modeling, supporting each other with the microphone and statement of, was that the cutest thing you've ever seen? It was actually the cutest thing I've ever seen. As they light the community candle, I invite you to join in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you so much. Each week we ring a chime in solidarity with people around the world. 
This week I am thinking of so many who are challenged and troubled by laws in our country, who are seeking to build justice together, and who are celebrating as other laws for equality make it through the House this week. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and to the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. For just a moment, settle yourself in your seat. Close your eyes if you'd like to, or soften your gaze. Take a breath together. Theodore Parker said that the Moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It can be hard to remember and believe those words. And yet we are inspired by the language of our founders, by the hopes of our children, and by our own work and love. I invite you to breathe together as one body in silence and then to hear the words of our founders sung by our children.
you so much to our youth voices. That was quite beautiful. I don't think I've heard those words in the same way. I just heard them now. Thank you. Well, this year for Founders Day, we have some uh, previously undiscovered and also uncreated footage uh, from Wes's early years. Uh, we have three examples of that footage. Um, you'll see the, um, is, the, is there a reason why Felix Adler is the picture next to my name? I enjoy that. <laughs> the, this, this represents about the, um, sort of about the accuracy of the footage that we'll see. There's, there's Amanda Poppy, senior leader. Um, this footage describes uh, three key moments in the Washington Ethical Society's history beginning in the 40s when we were founded in 1944. And um, after each piece of previously undiscovered footage, um, I will provide a little bit of commentary, um, perhaps noting some actual um, source documents, which are at times at odds with the footage. Um, so I invite you to enjoy this inspired historical fiction, which will remind us all of the way we were. the likes of which had never been seen before, spelled doom for the forces of tyranny and evil, both in the West and across the Pacific. In Washington, D.C., a small group of ethical culturists brought to the nation's capital in response to the final war effort seek to rekindle the sense of community they left behind in cities such as Chicago, St. Louis, and New York. Determined to avoid a repeat of 1919 when a similar society failed to coalesce, they agreed to form the Washington Ethical Society. A diverse, I said diverse, Mr. Cameraman. Thank you. And liberal religious community dedicated to the belief of individual worth. The only question is, can it last? I'm surprised I made it out here on time. The 14th Street trolley ran into a government vehicle. Nearly cost me to miss my bus up here. Oh, I can sympathize with that. Uh, the carpool that I ride, oh, that I ride in, uh, Hiram, that's the vehicle's owner. What a blowout coming up here. But he says that's the third retread he's put on that old Hudson of his. Oh, I'll be so glad when this war is over. I'm so sick and tired of the shortages and the rationing. I hear you. I mean, but just look at how peaceful and beautiful it is up here. Look at that magnificent view. Now, how was your trip up today? Well, I wasn't even allowed in the front door. I had to go around the back and either take the freight elevator or walk up the back stairs. We need a new place to meet. In fact, everything about our society will be new. Well, surely we can borrow some facets from other religions. 
Our children are going to need a Sunday school. <laughs> Not a Sunday school. Don't our children need a break from theism? I, they get it in school, they get it in the newspapers, they get it on the radio, they even get it from their friends. But what our kids need is a break, a safe space from that constant harangue. But how will we instill ethical values in our children without a Sunday school? Gentlemen, oh. gentlemen, please. There's no use in arguing. We're here to build something new, not rehash old problems. Obviously, we want to incorporate practices from many sources, but only those which fit into our new model. We may not know where we are going, but we do know what we are not. In this new society, there will be no literature. Yes! There will be no music. Yes! There will be no cameras. Yes! Because, gentlemen, we are not a church. Amen to that! We were so, um, we were so excited to find this, as I said recently, uh, previously undiscovered footage from the founding in 1944. And much of it is consistent with the documents that we have um, detailing our history. The Washington Ethical Society was in fact founded, that are, there are three signatories on the Articles of Incorporation. L.D. McIntyre, who was a white man who came from the St. Louis Ethical Society. George Beecham, a white man who became the first leader of the Ethical Society. And Gustav Ozen, a black man who was a professor at Howard University and part of the founding and the early years of the society. And indeed, it was difficult for the Washington Ethical Society to find a place to meet. They had trouble finding a location that allowed for public meetings, but was also integrated because DC at the time was segregated. Eventually, they ended up finding place in the Friendship House in Southeast DC, in part because it allowed space for a Sunday school. The Sunday School was indeed one of the founding ideas of the Washington Ethical Society. L.D. McIntyre, in particular, wanted a Sunday School for his three children. And his daughter, Carol McIntyre, was the first graduate of the Sunday School. Carol and I remain in touch. She is now partnered with the second leader of the Washington Ethical Society. I hasten to tell you that they met well after she was certainly in Sunday School, and indeed after he was no longer at the Washington Ethical Society, so it was later. Um, but they're partnered now, live in Florida, and send many good wishes to the Washington Ethical Society. There was indeed a woman as part of the early years who was really instrumental. In fact, the history that we have written in the 60s about the 40s and 50s talk about her as being core to the founding, although she was not one of the signers and didn't hold um, a formal role. Mrs. Claudia McColl, as she's referred to, was the one who pushed again and again for the Ethical Society to succeed. She wrote the stewardship letters saying that people needed to cough up. She wrote the letters saying you needed to attend regularly. And she insisted that the Ethical Society not fail. 
Um, one of the things that comes up again and again is um, the importance of budgeting in those first years. And in fact, what I particularly enjoy is that the author of the history, who was writing in 1964, writes about the budget woes of the 1940s and talks about how familiar they are to him in 64. And I think, oh good, it's not new. Um, <laughs> It's also the case, just as we saw one of our founders saying in this previously undiscovered footage, um, that the children who grew up in the Washington Ethical Society were indeed exposed to religious instruction in public school, or at least to the threat of it. The Arlington School District had Bible classes as part of their elementary education program, and they were thinking of bringing it into one of their Northern Virginia schools. And it was families from the Washington Ethical Society, including L.D. McIntyre's family, joining forces with folks from the Arlington Unitarian Universalist, which was at the time just the Arlington Unitarian Church, um, who fought against that and much to the surprise of the Arlington School District who expected zero opposition to having Bible classes in elementary schools and um, they ultimately decided not to hold them because it was essentially too much of a bother. Um, the folks they were working against were well organized and they decided they would spend their money bringing Bible classes elsewhere. Now the conversation about there being no liturgy and no music and no candles, it is true that candles came later. Some of you remember the great candle debate of, I believe, the 1990s, it was. Um, but uh, there was, in fact, liturgy from the beginning of the Washington Ethical Society. And I found um, a reference to um, win the Winter Festival in 1949, which included a marionette show of the night before Christmas. I actually don't think we could do the night before Christmas now in our current ethical society, but we do still like to incorporate puppets into our winter festivals when possible. So that remains a consistency through the years as well. And finally, that Sunday school that I mentioned, which was founded quite early, close to 1944, eventually grew, it declined and grew and declined again. You can track it all through the, um, all through the history. It had as its first paid director, Helen Bracey, who was a professor at Howard University as well. And I found that so interesting because I have been talking with folks in the society these days saying, I believe, I believed until reading this, um, that when LA joined us as our interim director of lifelong learning, it was the first time we had a person of color in a core full-time staff position. But in fact, the very first Sunday school director, though she was not full-time, um, was a woman of color herself. Um, and so I thought that was a neat part of the history that kind of comes through as well. All of that history brings us through the 1940s and 50s, and you really get a sense reading the documents about the struggle to create this society, the struggle to find speakers to come in and share messages, the support that they received from other leaders, including Algernon Black at the New York Society, and the support that they received from the American Ethical Union in those early founding years. We have some more footage uh, from a little later in Wes's history that still brings us back to the way we were.
criteria of a church as defined by federal law. It is so ordered. Brothers, please don't. We're not a church. We can sacrifice a Yes, Your Honor. The Washington Ethical Society is a liberal religious community dedicated to the belief that all human beings are inherently worthy. Yet, you're not a church in the conventional sense. This is true, but many of the facets of the community mirror those of more traditional and established theistic communities. Well, do you have established meeting places? Uh, we do. We congregate there every Sunday. Oh, well, if you congregate on Sunday, then you're a church. But, but during your meetings, is there a sermon or other address given by a recognized and credentialed leader on topics or other topics which inspire your congregants to lead better lives? Yes, Your Honor. They're called platforms, and those oh. definitely exist. Then you're definitely a church. Is there a choir? Yes, Your Honor. Church! Do you ever pass a collection basket? Of course, Your Honor. And you're a church! Does your credentialed leader ever make you feel guilty sometimes? Sometimes, oh. yes, Your Honor. Then you're a church. Your meetings, are there all references made to a supreme being or a deity? And is there literature that confirms or purports to confirm the existence of this being? Not exactly as a supreme being, but more like a supreme way of being. <sighs> well, I'm sorry. Without explicit reference to a deity, I'm afraid I'll have to rule against your application for tax-free status. No, Your Honor, wait, 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 please. Uh, hear me out. All of the world's great religions, uh, Christianity, Judaism, uh, Buddhism, Islam, all spend a lot of time helping us learn about how we should interact with our fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. It's called the golden rule, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm -hmm. We believe in that, except instead of that coming from someplace external, human goodness comes from within the individual. Grant, you've made an interesting point, but do you realize what would happen if we were to grant every petitioner the status of church? Government would cease to exist? Yes, more importantly, I'd be out of a job. I admit your case raises significant legal and constitutional concerns. I shall have to rely on all of my judicial training in order to render an appropriate decision. All right, heads! The Washington Ethical Society will be granted tax-free status effective immediately. Wait, you just decided, decided that on the basis of a coin toss. So ordered then! other source documents on the tax case that involves the Washington Ethical Society um, uh, differ substantially from this evidence. In fact, there is no um, clear suggestion that the judge was Groucho Marx. Um, it was also not the only legal action that the Washington Ethical Society was part of. And although I want to tell you a little bit more about the tax case, I want to share some of those as well. In 1950, Judge Opper, who was vice president of West at the time, submitted a behalf on the request of West to the Attorney General um, on, uh, around um, a violation of an anti-discrimination city ordinance at Thompson Cafeteria. And then in 61, again, Judge Opper was part of a filing with 17 other organizations protesting 
racial discrimination in Washington restaurants. The work against racism and um, segregation in Washington restaurants was actually a multi-religious effort. Um, All Souls under the minister of A. Powell Davies was very involved in that and so was the Washington Ethical Society. There were lists handed out to members of the congregations that said which restaurants discriminated and which did not. And so they really did essentially an economic boycott in the city to change segregation in DC restaurants as well as these legal proceedings. We were part of an amicus brief in 1953 um, around the segregation of public schools in the District of Columbia. And then um, much later in, let's see, do, 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 not much later, in 1959, one of the members of the Ethical Society supported by Wes um, was denied a commission as a notary public in Maryland because he refused to swear to a belief in God, which was required at the time to become a notary public. Um, And he ultimately petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court to review his case. But certainly the most famous and the largest legal case that we were part of was around our tax status. Now, it didn't occur as we saw in this footage. Um, We didn't go and apply and were denied. In fact, we were accepted at our founding in um, the early um, and mid-40s. Rather, we received a letter, um, Dr. Ozan was the treasurer at the time, and received a letter from D.C. saying that our tax status was going to be removed and that we were officially owed all of the taxes that would be pursuant to being a for-profit because we failed to recognize belief in a supreme being. That case ended up taking two years. Wes raised $25,000 with support from people all over the country to be able to argue that case in court. And it went through um, appeals and eventually went to the um, Court of Appeals in D.C. And the, um, the ruling judge was was not Groucho Marx, but instead Warren Berger, um, more appropriately, I would say. Um, Warren Berger, uh, before he joined the Supreme Court, wrote the final decision. The case ended up in the Washington Post and got national news coverage. And um, the history tells us that um, the... On the, day, um, on the day of the trial, there were two suitcases stuffed full of reference volumes and excerpts certified by the Library of Congress, librarians always end up saving us, from references not available. Among these, and in contrast, um, was one, um, among, among these was a quote from the Casita of Haji Abdu-Yezdi by Sir Richard Francis Burton. All faith is false, all faith is true. Truth is the shattered mirror strewn in myriad bits while each believes his little bit to the whole to own. This gives, the history tells us, something of the flavor of the results of wide research both in time and space. Washington Ethical Society folks, as well as the law firm of Covington and Burling, invested huge amounts of time, energy, and money in fighting this case. And eventually, um, the appeal was filed and, uh, and we won. Quoting from an article which was reprinted in the Washington Post and in the Times Herald, Uh, Let's see, here we go. I'm sorry, the type is so tiny. Uh, The Washington Ethical Society is an affiliate of the American Ethical Union, which has been conscientiously and sincerely considered a religious body by its adherents in this country and abroad. It has been generally accepted as a deeply felt religion by the communities in which it has maintained meeting places. In 20 American cities, its affiliates have long enjoyed tax exemption for their property as a matter of course. 
It has many of the attributes of conventional religions. Its leaders are ordained and perform the usual duties of clergymen, including the solemnization of marriages. Its Sunday morning services are spiritual in character. It seeks the ennoblement of its members and the betterment of society. I hope you all feel ennobled. Its central purpose, in common with one of the purposes of other churches, is to promote the knowledge, the love, and the practice of right living in all the relations of life, to join its members into a religious and educational fellowship in an effort to advance the moral growth of humanity through study, social action, and spiritual consecration. Although I'm not sure that many of us continue to use the language of spiritual consecration, that tax case continues to be vitally important. In fact, it remains as case law and is cited in um, around the country as, as there have been local um, versions of that case in other places, including most recently in Austin, Texas, for the Austin Ethical Society. So Wes, Wes's history is important not only to us, but indeed to the entirety of the country as we determine together just what religious freedom means and who gets to count as a religion. We have one final piece of footage for you from uh, significantly later in Wes's history. This would be in 1969. And uh, you know, those days were the days when we remember the way we were. That was slightly less <laughs> elegant. D.C., but then it's always hot in Washington, D.C. My name is Jones, Special Agent Jones. The director is J. Edgar Hoover. You got it, pal. I'm a G-man. I've been following a group which claims to have founded a new religion, one that doesn't believe in God. They call themselves the Washington Ethical Society. That should be a tip-off right there. Nothing is ethical in Washington. <laughs> They're a mostly friendly bunch when they weren't correcting each other, but tonight I've been invited to a suspiciously sounding Pavlova party. Could this be the front for a communist sympathizer group? There's only one way to find out. Go there. Hello. Is this the location of the pie party? Well, Pavlova pie party to be specific, but welcome. Come on in. Don't mind if I do. Please, pull up a chair and join us. We 
enjoy welcoming new people into the community. I swear, in my 20 years of sitting on the bench, I have never seen a so tell me more about this Pavlova party. I've heard that Pavlova is a code word for a Pavlov. Alexander Pavlov, the rusty scientist that taught dogs to salivate on command. Is this some type of plot to lure innocent God-fearing Americans over to the communist cause? Ha! Espionage through dessert? Oh, I think you've been reading a few too many cheap spy novels, my friend. First of all, the man's name was Ivan, and the only salivating we're doing here is because we're hungry. Interesting. So tell me what you think about Red China. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't use it on a blue tablecloth. <laughs> oh, I really think you need to relax some. Say, did you catch the ball game this afternoon? The Reds were playing the Phillies. I knew it. Communist infiltration in the city of brotherly love. You, sir, are coming with me. J. Edgar Hoover's going to want to hear all about this. Oh, hello. You must be new here. My name is Betty, and you are? Special Agent Jones, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Well, Special Agent Jones, welcome. What brings you to our little festivities? A loyal American never questions the FBI. You, and you, and you, and you, and you. What do you say? You're all coming with me down to headquarters. Oh, don't be silly. Here. Try this. Mmm. Mm, this, this is good. It tastes like hope and ethics. Why don't you come into the kitchen and get some more? Yes. Yes, I think more investigation is definitely called for. <laughs> Since you like the pie so much, what are you doing next Sunday? I think that may be my favorite of the previously undiscovered footage, really, and it actually is pretty historically accurate. I also want to note, and we'll have a chance to thank them later, um, but uh, the, the film and editing by Caleb Grimes, for folks who don't know, Caleb is part of our Sunday school and is what, what is he, 13? Almost 13, so well done, Caleb who obviously uh, already exceeds perhaps many of us in film editing skills. <laughs> the Washington Ethical Society was indeed um, infiltrated in uh, 
1969, and we have some of the um, specific information from the report thanks to the work of Hank Gassner, a member of West, who filed for it through the Freedom of Information Act and received it with some of the names redacted, etc. And honestly, the best thing um, I can do, I think, for both um, our history knowledge and our pure enjoyment is to read some of that report to you. I will say that there is no evidence that um, that Pi actually helped in the dropping of the investigation. Um, although I would believe it, as you know, um, perhaps our alternate name is the Washington Eating Society. So. I want to just share a little bit. In January 23rd, 1969, another, another government intelligence agency advised um, that uh, a, a specific person is listed whose backgrounds and past activities, let's see, that, that, oh, that they are investigating it. That's right, sorry. So they reflected that this organization is possibly being used by the Communist Party as a front organization. So that's what they were investigating when they came in to the society. Here's the report from the um, agent. He talks about how, starts by talking about how West described itself um, as an ethical humanistic group that which feels that religion should be something more than a blind dedication to formal doctrine or creed, but rather a partaking of man's accumulated store of social idealism, energy, and concern. The agent related that the organization currently has a membership of approximately 195 and is comprised of mainly upper middle class individuals who are by and large politically conservative in their outlook and some of whom are government employees. The agent added that it is a natural phenomenon that a group such as WES, which is open to all persons, regardless of race, religion, or national origin, who share the common bond of an ethical movement, will attract a certain number of so-called liberals. <laughs> I told you you would find it funny. The agent further stated that in this vein, there is a fairly strong anti-war sentiment among a large segment of the West membership. However, this sentiment has always been kept on a peaceful and law-abiding plane. The agent advised that in no way should such a movement be construed as anti-United States government or subversive in nature. The agent stated that such a feeling is a sincere conviction on the part of the individual involved rather than something which has been provided by any one person or group. Related further, that the agent would be the first to admit that on occasion, Wes has had the misfortune of attracting some militant type kooks, literally the word in the report, who are anti everything and who hope to use the society as a personal forum to espouse their beliefs. According to the agent, however, Wes has to, has to date always been able to discourage such individuals by utilizing the discreet, sincere, and sensible approach that the majority of Wes members do not feel their was for such purposes. Parts of it there, essentially, there was an investigation because of much of the work Washington Ethical Society, because it was open to members of all races and religions and national origin, because it did do work um, against the war and for peace, and uh, numerous uh, platforms were attended. You can find records of all of that. And ultimately, the decision was that, that the society was to ideals which were not against the U.S. government, um, and in fact, it was not a front for a communist party. The story that has been handed down over the decades does indeed say that the Pavlova pie was part of why we were suspected of communist leanings. 
Pavlova was a Russian ballet dancer who was particularly light in her dancing, and Pavlova pie is made primarily of meringue. It is a light dessert to eat. Um, but that's not in the official report, I'm sorry to say. All of this footage and the historical documentation that we're lucky to have about Wes's early years tell us that our founders tried to create something amazing here, something beautiful. Together, they dreamed a dream so big, even when it seemed unlikely to succeed, a dream that we continue to live out and to dream ourselves.
want to say I really enjoy the windmill image that went with this song. Thank you, Bailey, I believe, chose that. Jen, thank you, Jen. Inspired, inspired. This is the time in our platform service when you might add your voice. Perhaps you have a memory of this time, Josh Blender, um, that we are talking about. <laughs> um, or perhaps you have heard something today that inspires you or resonates with you as you think about Wes now and the way that our history is connected to our present and our future. I invite you, if you'd like to share, to raise your hand, and I will come and bring you the mic.